Welcome to the DSO Connect podcast. I am Casey, and today we have with us the lovely Keisha Stewart. Hi, Keisha. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Good. I'm super excited to have you on to talk about race in the dance industry and what we need to do to make our communities better and stronger. But before we dive into that, I do want to read your bio so our listeners get to know you a little bit. So here we go. Keisha Stewart has been a professional dance instructor for over 18 years and has vast experience and training in all her offered dance programs. She is an award-winning choreographer with multiple critically acclaimed works and engages in continuing dance education, taking master classes and attending conventions with other dance instructors and industry legends from around the world. She trained at Concepts in Motivation Incorporated at an early age and attended James Hubert Blake Fine Arts High School with a concentration in dance. She became a student choreographer and apprentice to the director of dance, Donna Reese. She has trained with the Dance Theater of Harlem as a member of their DC residency program. Keisha worked at the Kennedy Center for Performing Arts throughout high school and was afforded the opportunity to work with Alvin Ailey Dance Company, Debbie Allen, American Ballet Theater, the Kirov Ballet, and more. Holy crap, that sounds amazing. <laughs> that was a great job. Oh my God, I'm so my jealous of high school ever. Keisha. That's incredible. <laughs> uh, Keisha is certified in acrobatic arts and recently launched recently launched her bar none dance company's acro slash tumbling program she directs the elite company who travels to many regional and national dance competitions every season keisha is known for her gentle yet stern teaching methods that enlighten and encourage students through positive reinforcement keisha has designed a central curriculum that ensures all students progress and learn in a consistent environment she also mentors students and facilitates future careers for serious dancers looking to expand in the world of dance. So hi. Hello. <laughs> and you own two separate studios with a total of three locations in Virginia, I, right? I do. I just acquired ownership of Powerhouse Dance uh, in August of 2019. Um, so I am barely in, into it. Like, what is that, seven, eight months? Yeah, wow. um, of owner, yeah, of owning three studio locations and then now. When so. did you open Bar None? Because that's still a baby studio too, isn't it? It it is. I opened that in 2016, December of 2016. So you just said, "I'm going to go ahead and do it all." <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why the hell not? So, what is it like having three different locations, three different studios to manage? Um, so it, uh, as, as you can imagine, it's tough. Um, it sounds exhausting. I think the main Are you exhausted thing, all the time? I am. Um, <laughs> it's more mental than physical exhaustion. I think, um, I have really good teams at all the studios. The, the key is just having management there. Um, right. I think the toughest thing is just, um, and, you know, buying a studio just in general that already has like its own established culture is just getting to know them mm -hmm. um, and, you know, trying to slowly change policies that some, to something that I'm more aligned with. Right. Um, because when you're running a business, you want to run something that, you know, you're comfortable with and something that is your vision. Yeah. Wow. That sounds really, that sounds like quite a challenge. <laughs> it is. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Good for you. Wow. That's, Thank you. That's quite a testament to not just your abilities as a business owner, but also your strengths as a leader to be able to, like how many staff do you manage at all three locations combined? 
Combined, um, it was about, I don't have an exact number, but I would say like between 26 to 30 people, I, I believe. That's quite a team. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for yeah. you. Wow. Thank you. Cool. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's talk about mm-hmm. baby Keisha and how you started dance, what your experience was like growing up, what the studio was like that you went to growing up, and then college. Take us on your dance journey. Um, so I believe I came out the womb dancing because um, <laughs> I come from a Caribbean family. Mm-hmm. Um, so my whole family's from Trinidad and Tobago. My husband's from Trinidad and Tobago. <laughs> um, and I am actually viewed as Trinidadian in the eyes of the government as well, too. Both my parents are from there. I have dual uh-huh. citizenship. Oh, and cool. so um, even though I grew up in the States, um, I always joke and say I grew up like very Caribbean um, mm-hmm. in the food that we eat and our culture and the way that um, my mother spoke in the way that she still speaks, you know, cousins, everything. Um, that's how I grew up in music and dancing is very much a part of that culture. Um, we have one of the world's, you know, biggest carnivals. Uh, if you have never been there, I suggest going there. It's <laughs> an experience of a lifetime. And uh, my mom had me, it's called playing mask. Um, when you're a masquerader and you dress up in the costume and you're mm-hmm. in the band for you know, the big parade. She had me doing that from the time that I was small and I've always loved dancing. So she put me in an official dance program um, when I was six years old. And um, I believe I was with Joy of Motion and uh, I started off in ballet like most little girls do. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I did primarily. Um, I did primarily ballet and jazz. And then when I got older around middle school, um, I'd been through several studios since then. I kind of settled and w- at a studio, Briggs Cheney Dance Center, um, that's out in Silver Spring, Maryland. It's no longer there, um, but that became like my home studio from like middle school through high school graduation. Um, I was a competitive dancer. I was exposed to different styles of dance. I tried tap and it actually was very easy for me to learn. Surprisingly, I didn't start tap until I was about 12 years old um, and I loved it. And uh, my teacher threw me into a competitive tap team. <laughs> Whoa. Like Think ready to swim, go. baby. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and um you know, I got more serious about ballet then and uh, started doing points, was in several productions. Um, We did Sleeping Beauty, we did Cinderella, we did uh, Swan Lake. Um, And uh, oddly enough, I've never been in a Nutcracker, which is hilarious, (laughs) I think, for for a dancer my age. Me neither. (laughs) Having have been serious, I've never been in a Nutcracker. Same. and by the time it was time to go to high school, um, I really wanted to go to this new performing arts high school. Um, sorry, it was a fine arts high school. So not only did they have a, a performing arts department, but they had like visual arts and things like that. And the program looked amazing. I joined it only to find out the owner of my studio also was the director of the dance department there. So that was really a happy coincidence for me. Um, And I approached her and I said, I want to do this seriously. Like, I want to do more. Um, I joined the Palm Squad, and so I did that. 
on top of dance in school um, and on top of dance at the studio. And then she started this like student choreography program um, and allowed me to uh, start doing choreography for like shows on the big stage. And I would always do that for fun with friends. I have little home videotapes of me just making up dances. Um, It's something that I always wanted to do. And I think what really pushed me to want to be a choreographer was watching the Fly Girls from In Living Color. I love them. I used to imitate them when I was younger. Um, And, you know, that's the first time I saw Jennifer Lopez. I remember her from In Living Color. And I idolized Rosie Perez. She was brilliant. Um, And then I really loved Ilea. Like, she was, like, you know, as a teenager, like, that, you know, pop dream queen that was mine. Mm -hmm. I loved Aaliyah. I loved her dance style. um, And that's what I wanted to do. And I had this grand idea that I would be a choreographer for music videos. So it's not too late. It's not. It's not, it's not too late. I might be able to still. It's never too late. That. <laughs> um, and my mom saw that passion, and she worked in finance for the Kennedy Center. And when they were hiring um, for internships there, she got me an internship, and I worked with a gift shop, and I was an assistant merchandiser. So that was my main job, but it was amazing because I was able to get a badge and walk all underneath of the Kennedy Center where the orchestra pits in and where the dressing rooms are, where all the dancers and everyone in theater and everyone for the opera is there with their costumes. And, you know, um, sometimes the gift shops would give them memorabilia and I was able to deliver those things. And it was a really amazing job to have as a teenager. Um, I loved it. I loved it. The Kennedy Center is like one of my favorite places in this world. I just, right. It's just, and after school, I just got to hop the bus, take the metro downtown to D.C. I felt like an adult. I used to walk through George Washington University's campus, um, and I felt so grown, and I would walk to the <laughs> past Watergate up the hill to the Kennedy Center, and that was, like, my job, you know? And oh, that's awesome. special. You know, all your friends are doing ice cream or right. pizzas, and yeah, I'm like, I'm at the Kennedy Center. <laughs> so, job. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, it was so much fun. So I got a lot of opportunities to um, do auditions there, to do classes there, um, and work with almost any and everybody who went through there. Um, One of the greatest moments of my life was auditioning. I worked with, I took some classes with Debbie Allen. Um, She had an audition for a show. I did not make the cut, and I don't know why one of the best moments of my life was (laughs) Debbie Allen smiling at me saying, you know, next time, honey. And I'd never been so happy to be cut from something in my life. (laughs) But it was was fantastic to just be with her face-to-face, and she was so positive and so encouraging, um, even through a rigorous audition process like that. It was great. But um, I did get an opportunity to try out for uh, the Dance Theater of Harlem, and I made it into their D.C. residency program, and I worked on point – with them for two years um and it was it was fabulous that's amazing yeah what a fantastic opportunity that's incredible yeah so um and fast forward to me 
being a studio owner, I actually just took a break from dance because I kind of got into this funk where uh, they tell us, you know, you should probably get a real job, right? I mm-hmm. kind of went through that and I was like, you know what, I'm going to do that. And when I went to college, um, I made a valiant attempt to get a real job. And when I graduated from college, I was doing an internship working in chemistry And it was okay, but I was like, this isn't for me. And I went on Craigslist, and there was a dance studio in town that was hiring. And I was like, you know, I have uh, have a wealth of dance experience, but I'm not really sure if they'd hire me because I haven't been a dance teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, But I sent in the resume of everything that I knew, and all it took was for her to give me a chance. Um, And I worked in that studio for six years as a part-time job and really built myself up as a dance teacher. Um, I went to all the conferences and conventions I could go to in New York, out in Phoenix with Reed Gold, um, with uh, Dance Teacher Summit, um, with Steve Sirico, going to, you know, all those conventions and learning as many things as I can and just continuing to uh, grow and improve. And, um, I guess it had always been in me that this was like my niche. This is something that I'm really good at. um, And people liked having me as their teacher. Yeah. yeah. And so eventually all that experience led to me wanting to open a studio. And I did in DC. Um, And after a year, I had to close that studio down because uh, my husband got a great job in Richmond and you know, I wanted him to be able to have his opportunity. And I was like, you know, I can always, I can always do this again. Um, Mm -hmm. The DC market for dance studios, it's very expensive. The rent, Mm -hmm. um, it's very competitive. So when you just start to combine all those factors, it made more sense to sort of help him chase his dream and, you know, have me start over. And so, um, you know, I came to Richmond, you know, I taught for a little while. And when I felt like I was ready to get back into it and ready to to own a business and try this again. I went for it and that became bar none. Um, and, you know, it all worked out for the best. That's beautiful. I love that. I didn't, I, I had no idea that you owned a studio in DC. That's so cool. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, there are children everywhere and they, and they all need something to do after school. You can have a dance studio anywhere so just right you relocate does not mean that it's over <laughs> right exactly yeah yeah for sure so tell me more about the studio that you went to growing up that was like your dance home once you once you settled on that studio and what the atmosphere was like there so from what I remember um I loved going to the dance studio I had so many friends there Um, I made so many friends there. I was a little awkward growing up. So being at the dance studio and being good at dancing and and getting sort of that praise from my teacher when I accomplished something was so important to me growing up. So having the dance studio felt like it was like my thing. And it was like my thing that I'm really good at. Um, And even the days when I go to school and people just kind of are weighing me down, I just feel like I have this superpower. And it's like, well, you don't know that I just got my triple pirouette last week. <laughs> and I bet you would just fall down just trying to attempt that. It made me feel great. It made me yes. feel like I had an exceptional. Um, 
and the studio provided that. Everyone was really nice. I loved my teachers. One of the teachers that um, sort of got me into competition dance and was like, oh, you know, you guys should see this kid. She should be doing more. Um, her name was Miss Evie. Uh, she was African-American, and she was, um, and she had a thick build, and she was fabulous to look at, and she was the first teacher I had that looked different from the teachers I was used to having. Um, and that changed a lot for me. I would yeah. find myself coming home and imitating her and redoing her choreography. And even the days that I came earlier, stayed late, and I got to see her um, more advanced students come in and do their dance, I would sit and watch and remember that dance, and I would go home and do it. I would go find the music and I would go do their dance and, you know, feel like I'm going to show her that like, you know, I'm challenging myself and I learned this whole dance on my own. And so I feel like she was the first teacher that really made me feel so comfortable in my skin there. And I didn't even know why at that age. How old were you when you first had her as a teacher? I was 11. Okay. So I, um, Oh God. And that's such a like pivotal time too. It is, it is, it is. And I just couldn't even put into words what was so fabulous about that teacher, you know, at that age, but I just loved coming to her class and I was devastated when she, she left, you know, it was really a sad moment for me, but I had moved up in levels and I had gotten the main teacher. Her name was Miss Flora. Um, and Miss Flora looked like, the dance teachers that I was used to growing up. She was tall, dark hair, white woman, beautiful ballet, body, everything. However, she did not act in the way that I expected her to. She Hmm. was so innovative. She loved everything and everybody. She was so encouraging. Um, She was tough, and people said that she was tough, and they were like, oh, you can't mess with her. Like, she's going to expect the best, but it was... It was in such a great way. It was in a way where she said, I know you have more in you. And she didn't, even though she was that classic ballerina, she just didn't come off in that way. And Mm. she could do jazz and she could do jazz funk. And um, she really loved, you know, sort of changing the script in that studio. And she was definitely an asset to them and to the kids. And then I found myself like looking up to her as well, because I'm like, she's so fabulous and she just has this diverse room of kids and it just doesn't matter who we are. She gave all of us a chance to shine. Um, I had a dance friend, Tracy, who was also very heavy set, um, African-American girl and Tracy was one of our best dancers. And so just watching the relationship she had with Tracy made me feel like, you know, she could like me too. Like mm-hmm. this will be, it made me feel comfortable um, right. seeing how encouraging she was to Tracy and seeing that she noticed Tracy in a room full of other very talented dancers. And I observed that she treated everyone with the same level of respect. And it made me feel so comfortable, you know, that I just didn't want to be anywhere else. And mm-hmm. um, when she got to know me more as a student, I started seeing that connection her having that connection with me too. And um, I think that's really what solidified my love of dance and my love of the art and my love of being around people who love the same thing. Yeah. Um, 
but you know at the same time I feel like one thing the studio didn't do a whole lot is teach us a lot of like dance history Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of origins and I think that would have made that place even better to have some sort of understanding about that because leaving the studio I realized I had to learn that you know later on and I think it was like I think it was an appropriate space to learn it right then and there. Yeah. Was it a very diverse student body or were you like one of the only a couple of black kids at the studio? What was the student population like? I, I think I was one of few black kids at the studio. Mm-hmm. I remember at any given point, um, it was always me and Tracy. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I think it was just Tracy by herself. Wow. <laughs> um, and so, and we had gotten close because I know she was happy to sort of see this younger, um, you know, black girl joining our level and being in all our classes. And so mm-hmm. um, it felt good that we weren't the only ones there, but we were absolutely um, the only black ones in class. Did you experience any times where you were treated differently from your white classmates? I feel like the only time that I can recall being treated differently, specifically in that environment, was this young lady. She, when I say she behaved badly is an understatement. She was Mm -hmm. extremely mean, extremely negative. For the life of me, I could not understand why she was allowed to still continue um, being on the competition team. Like, it got to the point where, and I still have this personality where I just, I can't stand by and watch people bully others. Like, I will say something, I'll stand up. In our dressing room for a rehearsal, she yelled and screamed, she cursed at the whole team because she said she was tired and she wanted to go home. Well, we're the competition team and we've got to be there. We've got to rehearse. And so I followed her in the hallway and I was like, Hey, you know, you can't leave. Like we need you. And she cursed me out. There were like little kids and their little tutu lined up in the hallway. She stuck her middle finger out. She threw something at me. And then me being, you know, the champion of of justice, I went home and I wrote her a nasty email that basically said, don't ever do that again. And if you throw something at me again, I think I said something to the degree of, you know, I'm going to hit you. She printed it out and she showed one of the head teachers. The teacher almost kicked me out of the entire recital for the whole weekend that it was completely disgusting. This is not how you behave. And I will kick you off the competition team. And I'm in tears. And I'm like, how come she's never had been reprimanded for any of her behaviors ever? I write one email finally standing up for myself and my team because she's making them cry too. Right. And I'm the one getting in trouble. And, oh. and, uh, and the teacher admitted that she's never had to do this with any student ever. And she's so floored. And I'm like, really? Like, you've never Maybe had you this should. conversation with her. I know. It really resonated with me that they said they've never had a reprimand a student like that before. And I'm like, you have a student that's consistently been a problem, not just this recital weekend right but year after year after year this girl is a problem we have complained to the teacher we have complained to the owner and and nothing comes of it no one talks to her and so that was my first real experience of I guess I'm not allowed to do things that other people are doing and Mm. I realized that I'd have to behave a certain way wow 
That's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. And not to say that it was okay for me to threaten to slap someone in their face, but I, I think the whole point about this is whatever the policies are, make sure it's consistent. Right. Just make sure it's consistent for everyone. So if you're going to tolerate it, you better tolerate it from everyone. If you're not going to tolerate it, don't tolerate it from anyone. Right. Have you experienced, as a, as a teacher working for other studio owners, have you experienced any like microaggressions or racist experiences in that setting? Absolutely. Um, I, I, I remember working for a studio... And I, I really I say, without naming be, names. <laughs> no, I'm not going to name. I'm not going to name names. But I, I remember working for a studio and really wanting to um, prove myself. I wanted to do more. Seeing an opportunity to be a part of like a growing competitive team in my core, I want to be able to do this a, a lot on top of the teaching. And so I saw my way forward in that is being able to participate on the competition team and other teachers were hired after me to do that. And I recognized maybe it was an experienced thing. Maybe they had more of whatever the studio owner was looking for. But not only did I not get an opportunity to do that, I also felt left out of a lot of decision making. I wasn't invited to certain things that teachers were doing. I felt like I had put in years there. And I, and I don't think it was racism in particular, um, as they, they did hire another uh, African-American teacher. And it, it felt like there was only room in that circle for one popular black teacher. And I know that sounds crazy, mm. but it really felt like I was more involved until she came. And when she came, she was very nice to me. And we got along splendidly, but I noticed that she started to get invited to things outside of the studio. They started to ask her her opinion and collaborate with her more. And I was just kind of treated like, you know, you just come in on Tuesdays and Thursdays and do what you need to do. And then subsequent years after that, they started just chopping down the classes that they were offering me to teach really? uh, to the point where it just didn't make sense. And I'm like, you know, and I was honest with them. I was like, I feel like I'm being pushed out. And it's like, you know, no, we're not getting pushed out. It's just that we're trying to make the schedule so that everyone has an opportunity. But I'm like, as my classes are shrinking, XYZ's classes are growing. And wow. so you're taking from one to give to another. So I, I just need to know where I stand. I felt like they weren't honest with me. There was a lot of passive aggressiveness just being there. And I felt like, you know, this is, this was the end of working at the studio for me because there was just no future in it. They weren't interested in investing in me anymore. Um, they weren't interested in me growing. And so that environment in particular just kind of felt like we have this teacher here to show that we're diverse, but we really only have room for one of them to grow. Yeah. And I feel like I've been in environments where it felt like if you have 10 slots, we have nine slots. For, for white teachers, and we have a 10th slot for a black teacher, so only one of you can, can right. take in this slot. So that was really unfortunate. But it's, it's not really something you can prove, and it was right. something that didn't feel worth having a conversation about at that time. Mm -hmm. So I just sort of picked myself up and moved on from there. Right. Um, 
I also worked for studios where I did some front desk work. And in having resumes come in looking for additional teachers, I've been asked, uh, there was a black male teacher, great resume, beautiful headshot. Um, I thought this resume would be worth looking at, and I wanted to forward it to the studio owner. And she asked, tell me about it. And I said, oh, it's, you know, it's a male teacher, and he does, like, ballet and contemporary and this, that, and the third. And then she asked uh, what race he was. And I was like, well, uh, he's black. I didn't know why that was important, but I answered the question. And her next question to me was, does he look dangerous? Whoa! And I put the resume down, and I said, I don't know, but I have to go teach class. And I just left it at that. Um, and Oh, my God. It was That's, like, really straight up blatant. <laughs> right. right. That's right, not right. even like a... Well, and I mean, when she said it in a way that was like, this is okay to ask. And, God. and I was like, this is just not a conversation I'm prepared to have today no. <laughs> <laughs> not today but it immediately made me remember that I sent my resume and headshot here and so what was said about me yeah you know before I walked through the doors you know oh she looks like a nice black woman she looks like a not so dangerous black woman and right. so that really tainted the, the relationship moving forward um I definitely looked at her in a different light and then you could sort of, you know, you just continuously see those sort of microaggressions and it's just the comments and even things about like students and, you know, how they're coming to class, their hair, how they're dressing, you know, their ability to pay a bill. It, it you know, it just starts to, you just start to see that uh, unfolding. And so she, um, she was making racist comments about her own students. Yeah, it's just, Things about like, oh, well, they probably can't pay or they probably can't afford it. Um, you know, people who I'm saying, you know, well, they asked about competition. I think they might be interested. And the answer being that they might not be able to afford that, you know, mm. and not giving them the opportunity. Let people say they can't afford something. Right. Don't, don't assume people can't don't afford Don't decide something. for them. <laughs> don't decide for them. Um, so it was things like that that told me it's time to move on. And so, you know, I've had these experiences just ongoing teaching at different dance studios everywhere. And, and you see it, it's very much um, ingrained in the culture, even with staff that I have now, we have had conversations about their experiences working in dance studios prior to working for me, and saying that they've had really awkward interactions with studio owners or other teachers who are not being racially sensitive. And it's really sad because for such a beautiful thing like dance, that's supposed to be an inclusive environment and a safe environment. We need to be doing better. Right. Um, to make it to, to really live and by the values we set forth, especially if it's like in your mission statement and it's like in a nice little sentence that you're putting on your website, you have to mean it. And with regards to the young man's resume, he looked fabulous. And I told the studio manager, I said, you know what, don't, don't call him. I chose to say don't call him because this place does not deserve him. Mm -hmm. um, 
I want to allow him to find something better for himself. I'm just not even going to waste his time by telling him to come in here and interview because this is, you know, this is not the type of environment that I want to encourage someone in his position to be in and possibly having to deal with that kind of racism. And so that sounds exhausting. I'm so sorry. It is. It's tiring. I think the, the common denominator for black people right now, if you ask them, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I think the common denominator is tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's tiring. It is. Which is why I appreciate so much you being here to have this conversation because I know that you're tired and like, <laughs> and I'm asking you to do oh, some educating and some, you know, to give some emotional labor. And so I know that that's asking a lot of you when you're already so tired. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, as a white woman, I will never fully understand what it is that any black person goes through, but I can do what I can to create a safe space for you and to make sure that your voice is heard with the tiny platform that I have. <laughs> no, this is, this is great. Thank you. I, I, I so appreciate this and just, um, you know, just having opportunities and having more forums where we can have mm-hmm. these discussions are, are a step in the right direction for sure. Yeah. Um, I think we have a lot of work to do in the dance world. A lot. Um, and even in just in the dance studio in general, there's just so much that we can do. I, I know that one of the biggest issues right now, like amongst dance teachers, is people are talking about, you know, their appropriation of black culture. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're teaching hip hop in studios, which is great. We want that. We want to be a part of the curriculum. But I think hip-hop is like the bastardized style of the dance world right now right. because because we're not really putting the time and energy into finding the the correct type of teachers to teach this. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's enough to pull somebody off of their high school cheerleading or their college dance team to say, hey, you're going to come in and teach hip-hop. There is, it does come from the streets. It is a very raw style, but there is groundwork there. There is terminology. There are different styles and facets of hip-hop that actually have, have, yeah, there, there is technique there. And, you know, you wouldn't do that when you want to hire a ballet teacher. Exactly. Um, you want somebody who knows bar, who knows adagio, who, you know, knows um, Allegro. The context and, and the history. Yeah, understanding the context and the history. And that's one thing I think dance studios can do now to sort of improve your offerings is make sure you have a comprehensive hip-hop offering. Does your hip-hop teacher know whacking? Does he know grooves? Does he know tutting? Does he know where these come from? Um, mm-hmm. You know, does he know the different areas of the country and how they have influenced hip-hop? How does this all work into what we see today um, in pulp? pop culture. We need to make sure that we're having that because hip hop is rooted in, in culture. There's pillars mm-hmm. uh, to what we call hip hop dance. You could have classes that are just of subgenres right. of hip hop, but it has to start from the teachers and it has to start from the way we are hiring and from how we are setting up our program to right. kind of convey this. You know, do the 
do the students like really know this comes from black culture and if they do how so like on the on the opposite side you have um places like the dance theater of harlem for example dth you know they teach ballet but they learn ballet they learned it for what it is they learned Mm -hmm. the classical version of ballet they learned the different schools of ballet and so you can't just walk in and say hey i'm just going to be a ballet teacher and i'm going to start a ballet company but you don't know anything about it Uh, you know no history about it you don't know why we turn out and you don't know why we tuck our tailbone in and you don't know why we graduate from third to fifth position. You don't, you know what right. I mean? If you don't right. have that core yeah. understanding of this and then why are you teaching it? And so we need to look at hip hop in that yeah, same, same. Yeah. same light. Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of it, from my experience, it's been very challenging to find a hip hop teacher who understands the culture, understands the context and the history and, and it like lives in that, like is a part of that culture and like lives and breathes. Cause like when you hire a ballet teacher, you want a snatched ballet teacher. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you want that Mm -hmm. ballerina bitch, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) like a nice one, but you like, you want the whole Mm -hmm. package and you want that for your hip hop teacher as well. But I've had, I've, um, I, and I know a lot of other dance studio owners struggle with finding the balance between someone who understands the context and the culture and lives it, but also understands what a class should be like, like Mm -hmm. how to structure a class in a dance studio setting, how to control a classroom, how to interact with children, you know, like just finding that perfect package in hip hop is so hard because it's such a new form to a dance studio setting. Right, exactly. And I think uh, a couple of things that would help this is yeah, please. Um, just calling, just we need to call for um, like better accreditation for mm-hmm. being a hip hop teacher, just like we do with other styles. Um, just like acrobatic arts came about and said, hey, we're going to teach you the way that we should be doing some right. acro training. It would be helpful to have that um, and to call for that need in, in the hip hop community. I think that if, if someone came up with a certification program or even just a cur- like a packaged curriculum for hip hop, mm-hmm. I think that would be such an amazing service or product to offer. Like that, right. would, that would be amazing for the dance world to have right. some kind of some kind of system and some kind of standard for mm-hmm. would be really incredible. And I think for dance studios, I think something that would be very beneficial just for not just the hip hop teacher, but for your staff is just commit to like an internal staff training, a, a mm-hmm. workshop. So maybe not doing something that's external or takes a whole weekend, but if you do like an internal, um, this is required, we, we do this every August, before uh, the session starts up and it covers those those things that you talked about right. is how to handle a class, how do we want to space out the kids, what to do when they're bored, when you have a troublemaker, um, just that alone, even if you do have somebody who has the talent and knows everything there is to know about hip hop, just in general, having some continued training for your oh, yes, dance studios. Absolutely 
will help develop them as teachers. And, you know, ask them for a progressive teaching plan as well, too. Like, how do you, um, how do you intend to go from September to December? Like, what does that look like? I think as studio owners, because we are dealing with artists and we're dealing with creatives, we want to find that balance where we're not, we, we, we don't feel like we are telling you what to do too much and we're not impeding your ability to... Yeah, the balance between giving a framework and guidelines but not micromanaging. Exactly. Have that space to to teach creatively because that's so so much what what it is. Right, exactly. But I think that's one of the main issues that I would love to see dance studios all over tackling. And at the very least, I know it's very difficult to find a well-versed hip-hop teacher, but mm-hmm. at least if we can stop hiring the high school, you know, cheerleader type, this is our hip-hop teacher, and try to find, just try to find a median where we're trying to get a little mm-hmm. better each time with staffing that, I think it'll be taken more seriously. Exactly. Um, because that's, that's, that's what we're going for. And that brings me to the whole idea of that pipeline for talented teachers. We need to make sure that we're not just trying to throw people in a specific box like this is, you know, this is what we're going to have you teach here when they have a multiple, you know, a multitude of styles. Right. So, you know, sometimes people are really good at hip hop, but they also can teach ballet. They can also teach contemporary. Maybe they want a little bit more. And I think we'll lose people if we try to box them in right. to a specific category. It's and also studios- important to model to your students, like, look right. at Miss So-and-so. She teaches this and this and this and this because she's right. a well-educated, versatile dancer. Absolutely. Which means she's a well-educated, versatile educator. And exactly. it's for you to be able to do all the things. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, um, I agree 100%. And the other thing that I've noticed, it's a big, it's a big conversation just even within the black community mm. is the hair talk. The hair um, talk, yes. The hair talk, the hair talk. That's a big deal. Um, I feel like as, as studio owners, if you're, if you're going to give directives for how hair should be, and you know there's going to be those parents that are like, I don't have any idea what to do with my kid's hair. African-American hair, black hair, is just a whole nother avenue. And so we need to make sure that whatever directives we are giving is inclusive of that. So if you are, say, putting up a YouTube video that says, here's how to do your ballet bun, we need to do it on different students with different textures. Mm-hmm. And specifically don't know how to do it, reach out to a parent who does and say, hey, I would love for you to do so-and-so's hair for this YouTube channel because there's a lot of students here with her hair. Or even if there aren't a lot of students there with her hair, you don't know when you're going to get those students. Right. And so we want to be... And having those resources already ready, Mm -hmm. you don't have to do it next year. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and when that black that new black family does come to your studio, they're gonna see, oh, you've got a YouTube video of how to do a ballet bun for black hair. That's great. Like they're gonna right. see that and appreciate that, I would assume. Right. Right. Yeah, and that's it's already there. Even understanding in the classroom, protective styles. You know, there's a lot of white women um that don't understand and white men, we have male teachers too that don't understand what protective styles are um, and the purpose of it. 
And so there, you're going to have students that have like the long braids in their hair mm -hmm. or they can't do the bun because they have cornrows or they, you know, they got their hair done and so they have beads in it. And while as a, as a black studio owner, I, I do say up front, like when we're getting ready to have picture day or recital, you know, the beads are to me just like any other accessory. We're not doing additional accessories. So please make sure that her hair, hairstyle is such that doesn't require those accessories. Um, but as far as the classroom, you know, you're in the classroom from September to May or whenever. Right. At some point, you're going to have a black student that's going to need to have a protective style because that's what's healthy for their hair. Mm -hmm. um, their hair is hard to manage. It takes hours. Uh, let people right. tell you story about hours sitting in hair salons and hours sitting getting your hair braided so you don't have to do it for the next couple of weeks. Um, and so we need understanding that when they're in class, it's going to be a little difficult to put in the styles that are required. We need understanding where it's like, okay, we're going to offer solutions for you. Um, they make extra wide elastic hair bands now, which thank goodness, maybe having some of that at the, you know, at the front mm -hmm. desk or in your dressing room or something that's provided for them. Um, you know, um, maybe having clips or things like that, that maybe if they have like a, a braided style in the face, maybe we could just pull it back mm -hmm. temporarily. Um, even just having, um, you know, thick, full hair getting flat ironed, it can get messed up when you pull it back in a ponytail. Say, hey, what if you just did a bobby pin back? Having some understanding when it comes to their hair and when you're choosing hairstyles for performances and considering their hair type and making sure it's something that's manageable for everybody. And I, and I strongly encourage giving them options to braid it into style. So like mm. braiding back into a bun, I know I allow that and you don't notice it. It looks beautiful. It's a peace of mind for those parents because not all black parents know necessarily how to take care of their child's hair because even within black families, there's still different textures. So every now and then you'll get somebody who's like, I have no idea how to do any of this. I carry her to a salon or I carry her to my friend. So having resources and having solutions for them ready and say, hey, the next time you go there, why do you mind trying this sort of style? Because you can still communicate with them, hey, you know, sometimes those barrettes and beads whack them in the eye when they're doing turns. And she's so good at them and she's so close to perfecting them that I don't want her to be held back, you know, by this, you know, why don't you try this style? And, have, and you know, just sort of having those conversations. Do you think I've, that it's, it's appropriate for a white studio owner to have that conversation with that black parent? Or should we, should we enlist one of our black teachers to have that conversation? I, if you have a black teacher, I would highly suggest enlisting your black teacher to have that conversation with the parent. Even if, um, if you don't. Student. Yes. Okay. And even if you don't, um, and even if you don't, make sure if they don't teach that student, make sure they introduce themselves and say, hey, let them know something about the student so they can relate to the parent, of course, mm. and, you know, say, I'd love to, you know, I heard she's so great and, you know, this, that, and the third. Um, you know, I noticed she had this hairstyle. I was just wondering if, mm -hmm. you know, she's had any trouble doing X, Y, Z. I wanted to give you a suggestion. If you don't have a black teacher who can... Um, First of all, get one. That yeah, yeah. One, you need to try to find one. 
And if you don't, I would really first observe if it's an issue. Um, the best way to communicate with people is to just show them things by example. Maybe something as simple as just bringing the parent here and say, hey, I just wanted you to observe something. Have that child do, you know, whatever move it is that where their hair might be impeding them and just say, hey, I'm just a little bit concerned because I don't want her to get hurt. I'm not sure if there's a different, and even if you use the wording protective style, they'll yeah. understand that you understand and yeah. say, hey, I don't know if there's a different protective style um, you know, she can try uh, so that she's not getting whacked in the face by her hair barrettes or something like that right. um, and come from a place where you're trying to listen to them. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll be surprised maybe, you know, for the most part, I mean, at least from I've had this conversation before and I've seen it, perhaps they will say, hey, you know, I never thought about that because even for white children who have heavy hair or really long hair, yeah. I've seen parents who don't get it. And they right. put this really lazy ponytail in and then they're like, why can't my kid do that cartwheel? Well, her hair is 10 feet long <laughs> in her face and, right. you really need a, and you really need to pull it back. And so approaching that conversation that like, I'm not calling you out because your black child has a black hairstyle. Hair is actually a really um, interesting thing in dance. And this is why we suggest for all students to try to get it back and out of the face of, as much as possible. And you can use that example of a white child with really heavy, long hair. It's the same kind of problem. If yeah. you go from a safety standpoint and you're using your words correctly and saying, hey, is there another protective style? that you would like to try with her. So those are the kind of conversations that you can have. But certainly families are different. People are different. Mm -hmm. um, some people can be more sensitive than others. So if you do have black teachers, I would encourage them to have that conversation with them. Um, and if you don't, hopefully you have black friends or colleagues elsewhere that you can mm -hmm. just have that conversation with and, and say, hey, what do you think? Is this like a great, is this a good way of approaching this? Yeah, yeah. There's body types, you know different body types. Um, one thing I don't think people consider is the sexualization of young black women. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually a statistic that young black teens are seen more as women and um, more sexualized at a younger age than young white teens. Right. So even with things like costuming on developing bodies, how is this going to resonate on body of one of your black teens if she has developed very early Right. You know I mean? um, how is she going to be perceived? What kind of dance moves are we doing? What is the style of dance that we're costuming for? You know, how is this going to read? Um, even with something like that, it can be interpreted different between black and white students. Um, you've got tights, of course, tights conversation. Well, is the like tights forever, conversation <laughs> is the forever conversation. But yeah. I think dance studios, I implore you, I implore you, we need to stop using the word nude for a single color because that that doesn't exist. That's like having something that's beige and we just call that skin. Right. Um, that, that'll, that'll really get to the psyche of, of the dancer. And even just in general, we see it with um, lingerie and, um, mm -hmm. you know, underwear where they're still using terms like nude. And I see it and I'm like, nude is never my color. 
but I, I can be nude. I was born nude. When I go shower, <laughs> I am nude. So I don't understand it, but I don't match nude, and that should not be a thing. And so right. I think that's something very simple that dance studios can do is stop using the word nude. And, you know, all these brands, we're their main consumer. You know, uh, Capizio, Block, um, Sedanka, we can start demanding them to, to do better yeah. with this. Um, and and I, I, I said it in the last episode, and I'll say mm-hmm. it again. Listeners, your homework is to contact yes. every single dancewear manufacturer, company, vendor, whatever, that you have ever used, mm-hmm. and email them and call them and tell them, we need more variety in skin tone apparel. Whether it's, do. Whether it's an undergarment leotard, whether it's mm-hmm. a dance bra, whether it's tights, whether it's the breeze, just the adjustable, the adjustable straps on costumes. Yes, the adjustable straps. Absolutely. We need, to, we need to do that. And you know what? For those adjustable straps and costuming, it's nothing but like a little sewn loop where you could just buy those adjustable straps separately. And then you just right. tuck them in, just like how you turn a strap bra to a strapless one. Right. We should be able to do that with costumes. And we should be able to buy a variety in those colors. As a studio owner, I would be happy to spend money on like a set of straps just to have mm-hmm. just to have right like right however many in each color and just have them and give hand them out like like lollipops to my students you know like here you mm-hmm. go this is this is your color this is your cup you know like yeah, I, would, I would be totally fine to spend more money with a costume company that has that product Right. Absolutely. So, so would I, if they took the time and the effort to make that available to us, I would love to give someone my money for that. Yeah, absolutely. I I totally concur. Um, We need to have a variety of colors. Like we started having a variety of makeup colors. Mm -hmm. Um, You know how we have like like we've gotten a lot better. We've gotten a lot better when it comes to tights. And mm-hmm. now it needs to it needs to expand into leotards, undergarments, shoes, everything. Yep. If we want that extended line, um, I did see. I believe I want to say it was it was Capizio maybe that had like a variety of color jazz shoes mm-hmm. in different shades of tan. Um, and I love it. I love it. I would love to see more of that. I would love for dance studios. We also provide the majority of models for a lot of these catalogs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm looking through them and I don't know how this is going to look on my darkest skin dancers because right. no one in this entire catalog is her complexion. And we need to, again, we need to start pushing that. We are their main consumers. This is right. what we need to happen. This is what we need to see. Dance competitions and conventions, all your materials. I know you have a million different pictures from your whole season tour, please get some more variety on all your marketing and your merchandise. And your website. Of these dancers. And your website and everything. And you diversify your staff. Yes. There is a lot of conventions that I respect them and I love working with them, but it's really disappointing to see that their staff is not diverse. It's also, Um, it's, it's disappointing to see that the, their staff is their faculty is not diverse racially and yes. gender wise. We, I went yes. to a convention where it was just white men teaching. Wow! Wow! Like, what? Who? Who? What? Where did you? Huh? <laughs> like yeah. there were maybe two boys at the whole convention. 
like little girls need to see themselves represented in their teachers. Right. You right. Know? Like we need to, we, we need to just, we need to do better with that. There's way too much talent across the board. Dance is one of the most versatile and diverse things we have as an art and we're not reflecting it. And I don't, I don't understand why. Right. Um, and we can change that narrative. Dance studio owners, we can change that narrative. We are the main consumers for a lot of these things. And so, you know, nothing speaks louder than dollars. And one thing I have noticed in the dance industry is most um, companies really do value our opinions. If we mm -hmm. make a large enough stink about something, you see, you see changes. You yes. see that in the dance industry. Um, you know, enough people made a, a stink about shades of tights. We finally started getting multiple shades of tights. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's enough of them, but the push started in that direction. You know, multiple shades of point shoes. Hopefully yes. we start getting in, in that direction. I think a lot of people don't even understand why we wear pink. Right. So in your studios, is your dress code for ballet like black leotard pink tights or do they wear skin tone tights for all classes? So our dress code currently is black leotard. Is, well, that's not black leotard. We have different Whatever levels on the right. level. Yeah. But yeah, but it's their leotard and it is pink tights, pink shoes, because that's what you can get everywhere. Mm. Um, that narrative is going to change going forward. One, because we're being provided, especially for the little kids, they didn't have the tan ballet shoes, but I think those are being provided now. And I did not want to subject people to have to go dye their shoes, go buy makeup. You're going to have to spray paint it and hand paint it. And I didn't want to put people through that. I've had students who tried to do that and they're like, I'll just wear the pink. You know, this is more trouble than it's worth. They tried to dye it brown. It came out green. Mm. <laughs> I was like, now I have green legs. This looks crazy. And so, yeah, for the longest time, this is what we've had. And I would like to change that change that dress code now mm -hmm. um, and use what's within my power as a studio to say, hey, this is what needs to happen. You guys need to provide better shades and more options for our students because this is indicative of the environment that we have. And because you know? they deserve it. Yes. <laughs> like yes. it's very simple. You shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to not be your shade uh, of color. But yeah. I, yeah, I'm very much, you know, we have to stop using the word nude to describe a color. Mm. Um, we use the word nude to say naked. And, right. and that's, <laughs> and that's where it is. So if there's any company, if you notice something and the color is called nude, give them a call, write them something and say, hey, how about calling this beige or cornflower? I don't know. <laughs> I think cornflowers are blue. That wouldn't be a skin <laughs> shade. But you know what I mean. <laughs> right, right. Let's give, this, let's give this one a name instead of saying nude because right. everybody looks different when they're nude. And those are things that are going to start just helping to change the dynamics around the studio. And those are things that are very much within our power right. to do. Um, we need to start showing that diversity instead of just saying it. And diversity right. is more than we've got a couple black students that attend here. And just coming from me, I just have a unique perspective because anytime I go to events where there are other black studio owners, typically 
they're the owner of a predominantly black studio. Right. Which is, which is great. And there are a lot of beautiful studios I've seen out there. Great businesswoman. I haven't seen anyone who really owns a studio in the way I do where my studio is predominantly white mm-hmm. and I'm a black studio owner. So even just in existing and being where I am today as a studio owner, I'm changing the narrative of when my white studio and my white family and my white students walk through the door and they see that this is the person who's in charge. And this is the person that's taking this place in, in, in a specific artistic direction. I think that's a very powerful thing. Um, it's something that I'm very proud of because um, my goal is to have that true diversity within my walls. I want people to feel com- comfortable. I want them to feel like they'll be represented. I want them to feel like no matter who you are, you deserve to feel welcome here. Right. You know what I mean? What are some things that white studio owners need to know What can we do? What should we not do when it comes to making our studios, making our businesses welcoming and inclusive for families of color? So some of the things that you can do is just things as simple as in your um, advertising and Mm -hmm. your marketing. Make sure it's well represented in, in how your studio looks in real life or how you want it to look. Um, Make sure you're featuring all ages, make sure you're featuring all races, make sure if you have a boy, use him in every other thing. Even if he's your only boy, you would love to have 10 more. Make sure you use him. If you have a black boy, (laughs) make sure you use him in your, in your marketing material and make sure you're constantly rotating that because when they see your, your advertising and they see what you're posting, it's like, wow, there's just like equal parts of representing these these kids mm-hmm. and that makes it feel like this is more of a welcoming environment and this is a place this is truly a place for everybody is there any danger in like over representing because I, I wouldn't want my, my fear would be if I have three black girls at my studio are on every single page of my brochure and then a black mm-hmm. family comes to my studio and feels like they've been duped because there's only three black girls here when they were made to believe that there were more people at the studio that looked like them. Is there any danger in that in overrepresenting? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you want to be honest in what you're putting out there. You right. just want to make sure that again, it's indicative of the environment that you know, in the studio that you have. If you unfortunately have no black students, then that's something that you just need to explore in general, right. finding them and what can you do to make them feel welcome in this environment. That's a whole other ball game, but you can start by hiring black staff mm-hmm. because you can have them featured in your marketing material. So at least there's some sort of representation and make sure that it's not just the hip hop teacher. You know what I mean? Right. Like if you can avoid having like our only black staff member in here is the hip hop teacher. Right. And that's it. That would be, you know, that would be helpful too. see if they have other skill sets, have them do hip hop and ballet or hip hop and little kid class, you know, little pre right. classes. So they're not just boxed into this one style and they're not being tokenized mm-hmm. in your studio. And I think the other thing that people need to do and this is not just dance studios I would just like to see the world doing this 
is just learn how to pronounce very difficult names mm. and be committed to saying their whole names and don't give them a nickname unless they ask for that nickname. Yes. If, um, if you can pronounce Tchaikovsky. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and you're going to teach these three-year-olds how to pronounce Tchaikovsky. Be committed to learning names that you are not used to pronouncing and call them by their whole name. Don't be the person that's like, uh, I'm just going to call you Shuri for short. You know what right. I mean? Even in, even in things like that, and it's lighthearted, and it's like, wow, you have this beautiful long name, but I can't say that. Don't be that person that's just decided, I can't say that, I'm not going to say that, I don't have time to learn who you really are or where right, this because name that's came just from. So, uh, I mean, you mean no harm by giving them right. a nickname, but it is so right. disrespectful. It is. And it children is. deserve respect. Yeah, absolutely. And they don't deserve to feel shamed for the name that they were given. Right. Difficult. You have a, you have the black, I mean, just the black race of people, you, you have some of them who won't name their ch- children certain names for fear of their resume is going to get skipped over mm-hmm. or their application for something is going to be denied. Everybody's going to want to make sure they look at Madison first before they, they look at a, a Denisha. Right. And that shouldn't, that shouldn't be that way. Right. So we need to make sure that we are committed to learning people's names and pronouncing it. It's such a small thing that we could do at the dance studio. I know I've had students where, you know, I want to make sure I pronounce your name right. Can you tell me how to pronounce that? And, and show genuine interest in it because it changes how the rest of the class will te- treat that student. Yeah, and I think it's yeah. also important as adults to tell our students, you are allowed to correct me. Right. Please tell me, please speak up if I'm pronouncing it wrong. Yeah. And to give them that that power to say, Mm -hmm. "Um, excuse me, Miss Keisha, that's not not quite how you say it. You know, to like say straight up, you can correct me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's just, there's just so much work to be done. So I hope yeah. everyone is committed to trying to do that. And I think that as I don't want to, I was going to say the silver lining of all of the terrible things happening right now is that conversations like this are happening. It feels wrong to say there's a silver lining in like police brutality and <laughs> horrible mm-hmm. racism, but like it is just so important to have these conversations. And I think yeah. that up until this point, it has it hasn't felt um, comfortable to start mm-hmm. the conversation, but now it's like the door is opened and we are talking about it. Yeah, and the key is that we need to keep the momentum going. When all the signs of vandalism are gone and things are fixed and fires are put out and statues are down and we've all gone about our lives, we need to keep pushing these issues because that that's what happens. We get complacent and we'll start to say, well, is now really the good time to have a conversation? We don't want to keep coming to a place like where, where we're at now mm-hmm. that forces us to have this conversation. Right. I feel like people who are unwilling to have this conversa- conversation, it should feel more uncomfortable. The fact that this had to happen yes. for this to be for to be discussed when this could have been discussed before, you know, this is something that we could have done a little bit better at, could have done more listening and, you know, understand what people are, are going through. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it's hard, especially when you just, you just want to live. The right. hard thing about being black in America is we just want to enjoy everything like everyone else. We want to be worried about the pandemic. We want to talk about what's new on Netflix. We want to make spread bird box memes and laugh. And you know what I mean? And we, yeah. we want to drop our kids off at dance class. And when they say find the skin color of your tights, we want to just walk in a store and get the daggone skin color and go home because it's there already. Don't want to have mean, to special um, order anything. <laughs> Exactly. I want to easily find that that YouTube video that tells me exactly how to do my child's bun like everybody else is going to. You know, we don't want to have the same problem. I don't want to, to go to competitions and as a studio owner, um, and this has happened, and again, not naming anybody, but I don't want to go to competitions, and because I'm next to the white mom, they ask the white mom, hey, are you checking in your dance studio? No, I'm right here. It's my dance studio. Mm. I'm checking in the dance studio. Or I don't want to walk up to a counter and somebody's like, ma'am, this line is for studio owners and directors only. Without asking me, hi, are you a studio director or owner? We need to change this. And I need the dance world to understand it is very much here. It is very much present in our world. We're not immune to it. It's not because we're artists and theory. We're more accepting and this, that. And the third, there's work to be done. Mm-hmm. There, there's still work to be done. You know, your dance students, they don't always want to do, I always laugh at that. I don't know if I can say dance moms on here, but I always <laughs> laugh Please. at that. I, but I always laugh at that whole Laquifa episode with poor Nia. Oh, gosh. You know what I mean? Like your, your black students don't always want to be that tokenized, Right. Representation of you, you know, you've gotten this great idea. You can't, you know, if you're a white choreographer, please don't do strange fruit, please. Like, even if you, even if you feel like this is such a big issue and I feel like this needs to be said, find a black choreographer. Right. Bring in a a black Holly, get a guest artist. This is not about you and how brilliant you are. We don't need to see that. If you really want to, to send this message, it's not your story to tell. It's yes. such a painful, painful truth in our history. It brings us to tears today to hear that song. Right. Don't choreograph that dance. Don't tokenize it, this pain. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, don't, don't try to monetize it. Use your powers to spread awareness. Use your powers to say, I can see you. And you don't even have to ask, I got you. Right. You know what I mean? You don't even have to ask about your bra. I got you. I already have the exact range of colors here. So let's let's find yours. You don't have to ask. You don't have to go do this research on your own because you're also another working parent, and I know you're tired. And this parent was able to just pick this up because this is always here. I don't want you to have to go through the same thing. We need to be those people, mm-hmm. um, and and we need to be committed to to changing that and. Anytime we see this happening around our colleagues, we need to speak up and, yes. and we need to say something to improve it. We can't keep quiet anymore. We can't stay silent anymore. And I think for white people, especially white studio owners, especially white studio owners who employ black educators, it's just so important to listen and not get defensive. Yep. Yes. Yes. And I know that so, really- so often that's the that's the first response is like, oh, but I'm not not me, not me. 
shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Just listen and let your staff know and let your families know that you are here to listen. Mm-hmm. You know? Have a suggestion box, please. Yeah. Do you think that it would be appropriate for white studio owners to reach out directly to their families of color to ask for their feedback and input? Uh, I think that would be appropriate. And I would definitely come from the, from the sense that we're here to listen. Mm-hmm. And if we may have done anything that left you feeling left out or marginalized, we deeply apologize for that. We want to do better. We are always trying to grow in every way that we can. And this issue has come to light and we, we would love your help in improving this and what can we do for you and obviously letting them know this is not something that you have to do we're just asking for some assistance there's anything you want to share or any suggestions um we're all ears because that's all we want to know is people are really listening and um just touching on what you were saying that people get really defensive and it's because you're not in your you're like oh well i'm not outwardly racist i don't walk around saying the n-word i'm just so uncomfortable when i hear it and i don't even do xyz and it's like you know this isn't really the problem we've always known the outward racists were there we're dealing with them in our We're dealing with them in our in our own way, but what's been the issue is more of the moderate white person who's just kind of like, well, is there really a problem because you're not seeing it or it's not mm-hmm. affecting you? And we're like, we're sitting you down saying, we're all in, in, wrapped into this, including you. And I think there's that need to get defensive and say, there's nothing in my life that I've done to hurt a black person where... It it's like, no, but there are systems that you're benefiting from mm-hmm. that you don't know is hurting us while it benefits you. Exactly. So we're trying to tell you about that because you're very much in a position where people will listen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, there is more of you just in sheer numbers, and we need allies. We need people who are going to say, hey, well, I've noticed this too. So I'm, I'm going to also be on the side of changing this. And for dance okay. teachers, even something as simple as the tights, again, if you're a white studio owner, you've never had an issue with tights. That's not been your issue. I mean, not saying that you are somebody who are like, forget all those kids who need other colored tights. You know, we're not <laughs> saying you're saying that, but when we're saying, hey, we need even more shades, even within the black race, we are a million different shades. Mm-hmm. Like, we need this to happen. It's not just Instead toast of, and suntan. Right, exactly. <laughs> we need this to happen. And it wasn't enough to add mocha and java either. We are more shades than that. We mm-hmm. need, you're the studio owner. You're a pillar in your community. You have some influence. We need to see that you're going, you're going to fight for us. You are going to say something, you're maybe going to make a phone call. We just need to see that leaders in our community in that way are willing to do that and willing to stand up. So I think it is a great idea for studio owners to reach out and say, we would love to hear suggestions because you guys can't think of all of those things on your own. If you're not affected by it, you're not going to know all the issues. So you do need that feedback. Um, And you, yeah, yeah. Just make sure it's worded correctly. Mm-hmm. And I think white people are so afraid of saying the wrong thing, mm-hmm. and then being then being called out for for that. 
And um, preface, preface your question with that, too. And right. that's okay. Yeah. Preface your question with, you know what, I'm not really sure how to ask this. I, I'm really not trying to offend, but here's my question. And mm-hmm. ask it. I'm so sorry. Am I allowed to ask that? And then it, it'll, the answer will come in a totally different light. Right. If Absolutely. it's being asked callously or if it's being asked in a way that um, this is a new, yeah. yeah, flippant or, or this whole issue is a nuisance. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's a nuisance and it's something you've got to take care of because all the other studios are doing it. And basically this is the world now. So I guess I'm going to go have head and have, that's how we approach online classes for the most part. <laughs> you know what I mean? But this is one of those things that you have to be truly invested in this. Um, or people are going to see through you. This is not something that you can embark on if, you're, if your heart's not truly in it. You've got to be really committed to wanting to do better. I think that's important. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for being here today and talking with me. I feel like this has been a really productive and helpful conversation. Thank you so much for your time and all your knowledge and, and your input and your feedback. This has been really, really great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Before we go, we do like to end each episode with something that has made your heart happy in the past week or so. Oh, wow. Oh, man. This has been a rough week in particular. (laughs) So it's so funny for you to bring that up because I... You know what's made my heart happy? Um, I've been doing that thing that everybody else is doing... uh, since COVID, where you're just taking your kitchen scraps, you're trying to see what grows. Um, and I've got some cherry tomatoes and some peppers and a lemon that is growing. And I do love plants very much. And I love gardening and all that stuff. So that is definitely something That's awesome. that has been making my heart happy in spite of what's going on in the world, just watching plants grow yeah it's it's like so simple and so pure yeah that's awesome let me think for mine um so this past week we just started our summer session of online classes and i'm doing a preschool age creative movement i'm calling it like a summer dance party class And I have a couple of new students in it who I've never taught before. And I was nervous about having new students in an online class because, you know, when you transition from in-person to online, you have the routine set, the kids know the expectations, but I wasn't, I was nervous about having brand new kids online, but it went great. And like seeing them on screen start off like very nervous and then kind of (laughs) melt into having a good time and like letting go and just going with it was just so wonderful to see. And it was yeah, it was really, really great. So that's awesome moment. Yeah. I love it. That's why we do this. Exactly. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it just takes you back to that purpose and it's just so nice (laughs) to be reminded. I know it is. All right, Keisha. Well, thank you so much again. For having me, Casey. So wonderful. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank and you. I will see you around because we are in yes. the same city. We are. We are. So I will definitely see you around and, um, you know, good luck with the summer. Thank you. You too. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Keisha. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye.
Before we go, I just want to remind everyone that our virtual retreat is right around the corner, July 14th through 16th. For more information, go to our website, dancestudioownerconnect.com, and click on the Retreat tab. We're also super excited to be reopening our monthly member vault. You can sign up for notifications on our website. Again, it's dancestudioownerconnect.com. The member vault opens July 1st, and you can be the first ones to get in if you sign up for our email notifications. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.